I think that like giving a name to what Jamstack is, which is basically like shipping static files to a CDN, is useful because for some reason people had like a mental block around why that was different than just shipping a server. Why people are adopting Jamstack is because it's a simpler architecture. It can apply to the vast majority of sites out there. But like most other things can be done in a Jamstack style. And that means that if your build process breaks, your production doesn't break, which is super nice. Hey, this is Brian, and you're listening to Jamstack Radio, a bi-weekly series where we discuss the Jamstack, a new way of building websites and apps that are fast, secure, and simple to work with. Jamstack Radio is brought to you by Heavybit, a program dedicated to helping startups take their developer products to market. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. Welcome to another installment of Jamstack Radio. On the line, we got Chris Biscardi. Hey, Chris. Hey. I've wanted to chat with you for a while about specifically MDX, but before we jump into that, do you want to just give us an intro of who you are? And no one can see your 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 awesome tank top, but also if you want to mention <laughs> that too as well. Sure. My tank top has a bunch of corgis on it, and that is because I run the Party Corgi Network, and that is a uh, Discord of content creators and people who stream and write blog posts and things like that. And it's sort of like a supportive, um, we help each other out kind of thing. And as for me, I am an independent consultant. I specialize in Jamstack and serverless stuff. Work people may have known me from is like Gatsby Seams. I did work at Docker in the past. And uh, yeah, that's me. Awesome. Yeah, so specifically, yeah, we wanted to talk about MDX because your your name shows up if you Google anything about MDX. Um, <laughs> so I'm curious, like, are, how, are you involved in the open source project as well as writing content? Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a maintainer of MDX. John Otander is the creator of MDX. The way that I got involved was I saw John talk about MDX one day on Twitter because half my life happens on Twitter, apparently. And then uh, <laughs> I built Gatsby plugin MDX because I knew that MDX was like the thing I was looking for after the past couple of years of like building design systems and whatnot. So I built Gatsby plugin MDX. So I was into Gatsby. I was into MDX. And I thought that they were a great match. And then, uh, yeah, it went from there. And then I became a maintainer as a result of that work. Yeah. And uh, I guess we should zoom out too and just like, what is MDX? I guess would be the question that a lot of people are wondering. MDX is Markdown plus JSX. So that's a very like sort of simple way to phrase it. That doesn't really convey all the things you can do with it. But yeah, that's it's at Markdown and uh, JSX. Yeah, and did I read somewhere? Maybe the creator or somebody was talking about the creator's vision that they wanted to start like embed stuff into Markdown. Mm-hmm. So like things like embedding a YouTube video is kind of pretty janky and doesn't actually work in a lot of places where Markdown lives. Yep. So is that does that also help out the uh, sort of the description as well? Yeah, for sure. So like MDX uh, has a number of different effects, right? One of them is that you can now use like a React component or a Vue component or something like that if you ever want to like render a YouTube video. You can use like the YouTube video component and just pass in the ID and then it just renders when you render your MDX. You can replace any sort of renderable element so if you want to replace like an anchor tag or a paragraph tag or how or headings render and things like that, stuff like that can be hard to do if you're rendering out a bunch of markdown content that you don't control. But MDX gives you a provider where you can actually like take control of the actual rendering and change how the structure of the thing renders and things like that. And that gives you access to shortcodes. So you can have like that YouTube video like component that I talked about before or whatever. Uh, you can provide that to all MDX content, and then people who are writing the content don't need to like import like React YouTube video player from wherever the fuck, right? And that means that you can like render an MDX doc that uses a YouTube player 
in a Vue site or a React site, and it doesn't really matter. Excellent. So, like the like, I'm familiar with MDX because I, I took a tour through the the code base, and like, there's like a parser that does all the hard work for you. Yeah. So everything's built on this like this parser that makes the MDX and the Markdown work with other styles of embeddable things. Yep. I imagine there's like an ecosystem of MDX plugins that you can sort of source and figure out how to work with. Yeah. So there's a whole stack of things when you look under the covers on MDX, right? There's the ASTs that are used for the Markdown, HTML, and JSX transformations. So you get uh, Rehype, Remark, which are Hast and MDAST. Uh, the naming there is a little confusing, but it's a Markdown AST and an <laughs> HTML AST that you get to process with plugins. Yeah, And then you can like get the JSX out the other side and process that as well. And MDX will run Babel on it for you, so you can write like a Babel plugin and apply it to your JSX output or whatnot. Okay, and so like you mentioned JSX too, like in your description too, as well as Markdown plus JSX. So is this a React only thing, or is this like how do I even approach like playing around with it? So it's a JSX thing. So Vue has support for JSX, React has support for JSX, other frameworks have support for it. Really, all you need is uh, JSX compiles to a function call, and that function call is the thing that you need to implement if you want to support JSX. And because MDX targets JSX instead of like React specifically. It becomes much easier to like port a document from one to another. Okay, excellent. So, I'm curious, like, what was the catalyst of making MDX as popular as it is, and like the solution for for this? Are were there solutions prior to this to make this sort of thing work? Yeah, so there was a bunch of like solutions that had various drawbacks. So, like, MDX isn't like a totally new idea. There are people who have approached it in the past, and I think a bunch of them are mentioned in like docs and stuff like that. But yeah, they all were like kind of you have to ship the entire like parser to the browser or something like that, right? Uh, which can be heavyweight. Yeah, uh, can be not exactly what you need, and then you still have to work with like HTML, and you can't work with like JSX or like a structured output format, right? So, if you wanted to do something that was complex, like a YouTube component or um, even a card, right? If you wanted to render a card inside of a Markdown doc, you would have to write all of the HTML out, apply all of the classes in the right order, and then you would get your card, right? But sort of like MDX allows you to just write a card component and you can provide it to that doc. So like somebody writing in some CMS somewhere doesn't need to know how to import something or whatnot. They just like the JSX syntax is the shortcode syntax for them and they just write it. Yeah, I love that. I love the this obscuring all the the complication because like I've I spent some time so as we discussed earlier and like uh, you mentioned yet you are part of the party coordinating network as well and and run that. I spent a lot of time trying to make like my Twitch embeds work uh, and like the difference between because my site I started with a template so I have server side rendering running on it uh, but I'm using Razzle which is super awesome but also because I made the decision I can't just use any React component off the shelf it has to render to a string. So anyway, I say all that because I've got other things that are rendering a markdown, and then when I was, I had some markdown issues on my site, mm-hmm. and I was considering like going down this MDX route, and I was like, oh, I should actually just have someone come on and, and chat about this <laughs> and give me the rundown on how this actually works. So like understanding that, actually, I didn't know that JSX was actually leveraged in things like Vue and uh, other other frameworks, but I get that it's a it's a library. But I'm curious of like. How the adoption works, and it sounds like pretty straightforward and pretty easy. Like especially if you're familiar with how the React components work. So if I'm using Markdown on GitHub, like pretty heavily, can I leverage MDX in my GitHub project? It depends on what you mean by that, I guess. 
like GitHub doesn't render MDX, right? It will think it's an HTML tag and it'll just like take the tag out for you when you go to see it, look at it. Gotcha. But that's like somebody else's markdown preview on their site, right? So yeah. if you're going to take like MDX docs that you shipped to GitHub in a Git repo and then take them out and like render them somewhere with even something like Gatsby or Jekyll or whatever, right? Then you could do that. But like GitHub Inc. Markdown preview is not going to necessarily show like your card component or your YouTube embed or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I wonder if you could do some clever things like with Chrome extensions or something to render it for anybody who has it enabled. But we can we can talk with to GitHub later uh, on figuring out how that works. <laughs> but um yeah, the other thing that comes up a lot of time when I deal with markdown is the GitHub flavored markdown. Mm-hmm. And like you mentioned remark in passing. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the most success I've had with markdown compilers and working on projects, because that project just happened to have a lot more of the bells and whistles. Yeah. But also they're using the GitHub flavored markdown. So I don't know if everybody in the developer world has been trained to know like how tables and how things work on GitHub and translate that to their other projects. But that's another thing that I've, I've sort of also followed over is that the consistency of like how Markdown is used. It seems like mostly people get it, mm-hmm. but I'm curious if like with things like MDX, is that can you also provide your flavor of Markdown too as well? Is that a part of the whole plugin architecture? Yeah, so you get access to all of the ASTs, right? So like I said before, you get Remark plugins, Rehype plugins, and whatever, right? And in MDX2, we're taking it actually a step further, and we're saying that like if you have an MDX plugin, uh, it can control adding a couple of different plugins to like Reheart Marker and Rehype and whatnot. Yeah. So you get to like control your own pipeline through the entire process through like an MDX plugin instead of just like doing one-off uh, Remark, Rehype, whatever. Okay. But yeah, you can add support for... GitHub tables or like anything that you want, emoji replacements, like all of the entire Remark ecosystem works, uh, the Rehype ecosystem works, etc. Cool. And uh, I'm curious, actually, before I ask my next question, I'm curious, what is like the craziest thing you've seen done in MDX? Um, there's somebody that like wrote a blog post and created like a code surfing environment. So as you scroll down, the code blocks on the page change right next to all of the content that sort of like fades up and does stuff like that. And that was pretty intense. I wouldn't necessarily call that the craziest, but one of the cooler, more understandable applications of it. Yeah, very cool. So I'm curious, you'd mentioned your, and I want to shift gears a little bit and like learn more about your your role as consultant and working in Jamstack and the serverless space. Yeah. Because like I, I know that you've been an engineer for quite a bit and you've seen sort of the transition of like, now people are using the term Jamstack, so like I, I think at the time of this podcast, the first episode, that wasn't a thing. And I'm seeing more and more of the, the term Jamstack being applied to different products and technologies. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious of like your outlook, because you're, you're now, your paycheck is aligned with, uh, <laughs> with people actually adopting these technologies. So like mm-hmm. what's your outlook on the, the landscape and as far as like companies adopting things like the Jamstack and these sort of like architecture decisions? I think that like giving a name to what Jamstack is, which is basically like shipping static files to a CDN or whatnot, is uh, useful because for some reason people had like a mental block around like why that was different than just shipping a server. In my opinion, like Jamstack and serverless are basically the same thing, and they're sort of like ways of developing applications with like minimal DevOps necessity and maintenance and things like that. Not that there's no DevOps involved at all, but like. It's much, much uh, simpler and easier and uh, a little bit more automated and things like that, right? Everything pushes through Git and then goes out through CI and then gets deployed all the time. And you get these like incremental rollbacks and things like that. 
So yeah, why people are adopting Jamstack is because it's a simpler architecture. It can apply to the vast majority of sites out there. The ones that are it's having sort of like trouble applying to are the ones with like thousand plus pages or like dynamically updating e-commerce stores that want to render like specific user data on every single page, right? Yeah. But like most other things can be done in a Jamstack style. And that means that like if your build process breaks, your production doesn't break, which is super nice. Because I don't know about you, but I've like I've shipped WordPress stuff before. And uh, that's always a bit scary to like click a checkbox and just be like, I don't know if it's going to break everything or not. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a good perspective too. And like the simplicity, I think, for the majority of the sites, like because I'm rolling out a bunch of side projects and ideas and like, you know, this like fever dreams that I was, I woke <laughs> up one day and I bought a domain name and then applied a website to it. Like being able to go from idea or dream to actual production is kind of insane for me because I feel like at the first time in my career, in the last couple of years that I have the ability to actually push a product out and not be stuck on some of the more uh, minute things of like deciding what language I'm going to write in on mm-hmm. like that's that's a decision that you don't actually have to make like I just saw a um, a repo that said static rails on it <laughs> and uh, I would love to talk to Justin about that cuz it's uh, Justin Searles he's in, mm-hmm. been the javascript and ruby space for a while and uh, but he shipped it out, and now you can bundle your Rails app into a static like static assets and host it on the Netlify, which is uh, pretty insane. So like I've seen that. I've also seen so we all watching Vercel mm-hmm. as they've transitioned to like the newer version of what they are today. But like Next JS now fully optimized runs in static, and that's something we've sort of watched for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing all these like, and that's what the, the one company I was sort of. Thinking of when I was thinking of now we're all using the word Jamstack because now you you can only have to make the hard decisions up front like you can get something stood up really quickly yeah and then like things like MDX and going back to that conversation like you can actually if you haven't figured it out and like I'm thinking of like rendering Markdown in the same sense of I think of like iframes yep. so if you haven't figured out that part of the app and just want to render you know going back to the YouTube component thing just pass in the YouTube ID. And then you'll get the video there. And if there's a decision that has to be made around moving that video to another hosting provider or something different, or uh, for whatever reason, like to swap out the component with whatever your new version is, that's where I'm seeing like the power and like the beauty of things like this, and like having these sort of like sandbox environments for your websites. Yeah, it's uh, the programmatic access that you get to like MDX components as they render and like the whole pipeline makes it extremely powerful for things like that. Where like, if I just want to have a suite of videos, let's say like I have a video hosting platform, like an Egghead or something like that, and like every page is an MDX doc, and they all have like video IDs for specific IDs. And like, we want to move our infrastructure from like YouTube because we like, I don't know, bootstrapped it or something to like our own infrastructure or like a Vimeo Pro or something like that. You can just swap out the video component and now you have the IDs and you can just translate the ID when you render the component and send it somewhere else. And you don't have to go out and change like every single page and every single URL and whatnot. The programmatic access is something that is very powerful for people that know how to use it. Yeah, I think um, like you've just sort of sparked an idea in my head where I'm trying to migrate my my main website, which is briandouglas.me. I built it like probably seven years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's just sort of this, it just works. It's built on middleman. Like there's nothing that really needs to be updated. Like the design could use some help. But <laughs> I don't want to add design to it when I know I don't like the infrastructure. Like I want to do something shiny and new. Yep. So like what my thought is, is I want to build like a, some sort of portfolio site where I can just render different 
processes of my life. So like my Twitch streaming, I just want to render that stream there. Uh, and like you could do that with RSS, but then you're gonna do a lot of like, you know, hand holding the HTML and then rendering that. Yep. So like I would love to be able to just pass in like IDs for my blogs and IDs for like my Twitch VODs and just have that render magically on the page <laughs> and not have to worry about like making design decisions, infrastructure decisions on how I can get the stuff working in-house on the one one project. Yeah. But yeah, I love this. And like I feel like there's like a, so much I could sort of dive into as I, I figure out how to how to work with MDX. I'm curious, like if someone is wants to get started with MDX today or maybe they think MDX is a solution, like what's the first step? Or is there like a, something like the golden path of like the MDX plugin that everybody uses first to get their their feet wet? Yeah, uh, it probably depends on what ecosystem you're in. But like, there's a getting started on the MDX page. There is uh, Gatsby plugin MDX, which is something that I wrote. So if you're in the Gatsby ecosystem, that's the one to use. Uh, I believe there's a Next plugin or a couple of Next plugins at this point, and those are all pointed to from the MDX uh, documentation page. So if you go to the getting started, it'll have getting started for like, here's the framework that I want to use and the plugin that uh, is associated with that. Excellent. Yeah, I love that it's uh, so. It's, it sounds so versatile. Like it, it works with a lot of different frameworks, a lot of different like flavors of what, the way you want to write code. Yeah. And I, even like going back to our Jamstack conversation, like I love the fact that I don't have to make the hard decisions now. So if I decide that Fauna is my decision for hosting my my data, yeah. and that doesn't work out, and I want to move to something else like a Hasura or I want to opt into whatever the new technology is, yeah. like I can just effectively I can find and replace and hot swap stuff in and. Make different decisions. Like my personal side, well, I say my personal project. It's one of my many side projects, but I started this one project, which is open source, and I built it on a technology, which was um, at the time it was GraphQL, so now it's Prisma. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I actually was able to migrate through all the, the flavors <laughs> of Prisma. I have since actually migrated off of Prisma because it did, it's, didn't solve the problem I needed to solve anymore. Yeah. So I've then switched to OneGraph. Mm. But that entire process, like I've always had a React app standing up on it. I've always had a login, yeah. so like making the app work, no one even knows unless I call it out in the, in the repo that yeah. I've switched how my backend's being handled. And I love the fact that like we're able to do that. Like I've also changed my authentication choices quite a few times where I had my own. I did Netlify auth, and then I also did Auth zero for yeah. a short amount of time. Like I'm able to like cycle through the way I want to handle authentication for my app, handle the backend, and then it sounds like with MDX, if you wanted to handle different Flavors of rendering, like if you just want to get it on the page for your blog or different marketing sites, like it sounds like a, a really cool path to sort of walk down. Yeah, it's really cool. And like the view support is new. So if anybody wants to use it, please use it. Let us know if there are bugs. But uh, yeah, it's super exciting that you can just sort of like write an MDX file and then like decide that you don't want to use React anymore. And like maybe Preact isn't where you want to go. So like, hey, maybe you want to try View and now you can and you can just take your content with you. And you get like all the same features and the provider and the replacements and all of that programmatic access. Awesome. Is there anything else you want to let the listeners know before we transition to the picks? Actually, MDX 2.0 is going to uh, drop soon. So if you're interested in that, there's an issue open and a PR and uh, yeah, get in touch. Awesome. So the second half of this, uh, well, last third of our, our conversation really is jam picks. And these are things that we're jamming on, things that we're excited about, and uh, it could be movie, food. Programming related, and I, I failed to prep you on this, so if you don't mind, <laughs> I will go first. Sure. So I guess my first pick actually will be remote conferences. I'm on the fence; it's like a, a non-pick, but also is a pick because I know each conference has been different. 
So I just got done with a really cool conference, which was uh, Open Source 101. And I feel like they did a really good job of having the engagement. I think everybody's sort of trying to figure out that we're all moving remote. But um, the engagement of getting attendees comfortable, but also still provide content, but also in a world that we're all going to be sitting in front of our computers. So they use this tool called Hopin. They do have like a site, and I think you could sort of check it out. I think it's pretty new. But they give you like a nice little platform where you have different rooms. Uh, so it is all in browser as well. So mm-hmm. it wasn't in like something like a Zoom or anything like that, which I think Zoom is not conducive to doing large attendee events. Mm-hmm. It seems like Zoom's being used for everything else now. <laughs> but I mentioned this because they had not only did they have like the main stage where you watch the talks, they had a networking room where you at random. So it was like kind of like chat roulette, but at random you get matched with somebody else who wants to network with a new at- attendee. So uh, mm-hmm. sort of like the hallway track, if the hallway track was just you and one other person. I'll, be, I'll admit, it was kind of awkward because I didn't know what to expect when I clicked the link. But I think it matched with someone pretty cool. It was a student out in, in Raleigh. Answered a couple questions. We connected with LinkedIn. So I only ended up connecting with one person. Also, I was like fumbling with my, my mic too as well because I was setting up for my talk uh, later. So like, probably not the best time to start networking with people. <laughs> but um yeah, so that was a it was an amazing experience. Definitely check out Open Source One Hundred and One online. I think it's the same. Todd's the same person who runs uh, All Things Open, mm-hmm. so I'm sure All Things Open will have a very similar format. That's like a five thousand person conference in person in Raleigh. So if we end up not doing in person conferences by the time we hit August or September, uh, I'm sure he's going to end up using this platform again. So definitely check out the Hopin platform. Check out All Things Open and check out. Open Source 101, get all that content. So if you're interested in getting the open source for the first time or for the second time, I'd love for people to check that out. So did I ramble enough to give you time for picks? <laughs> uh, yes. So I'm going to shout out to some technology that I've been working with recently that I've been building some of like some more MDX first approaches to building sites with. Uh, and one of the underlying technologies is Snowpack. So I'll shout out to Snowpack. Nice. You should check it out. Sort of like the unbundling. I think you have an episode a couple episodes ago on them. So I'll... yeah, it was actually the um, two episodes ago. Yeah, uh, we had Redrick on. Yeah, so I won't uh, I won't talk about it too much, and I'll let people listen to that one. But um, there's also the Dynamo GB book by Alex Debris is really really dope, and would have saved me a lot of time. So uh, if you're interested in like serverless databases, that's a great pick. And then uh, Monica Lent just started a. Uh, like a blogging for devs email newsletter that I would love to shout out. So if, as uh, most people that I talk to, you have not started your blog and not started writing yet, this is the place that you should check out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I built a whole career on writing blogs. I wish I was actually way more consistent nowadays because uh, I've got so much to say, but not enough time. Yeah, But I do, I, I'd actually love to sign up for that too as well because I, I think what really leans into success is like, don't over-index or over-optimize things. Just sit down and write. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually, I'm a, um, I guess, a subscriber of your newsletter. Oh, so thanks. and uh, <laughs> so yeah, so I'm a big fan of the content that you put out there. It actually, for the most part, it's pretty thought-provoking. So I think you had a post uh, or um, I don't know, email. I guess it's an email that was about pagination. Yeah. And actually, this sort of broke my brain on like, you know, actually, you're right. I don't need <laughs> pagination. Like, why am I trying to solve this problem? When more than likely people aren't going to really scroll down or try to click through, but yeah, pretty good article. Yeah, that was a funny one because uh, I think that it's just built into like, like if you if you started building something in the last ten years, it's kind of just built into the way you do things. But yeah. it wasn't it wasn't always the way we did things. 
And uh, I don't think we need it. Yeah, uh, for personal blogs anyway. No, yeah. and it's a, it's the same thing as like um, maybe it's like the hamburger menu like discussion all over again. Maybe we're gonna blow up the internet by no longer doing pagination on sites and have infinite scroll forever. But like also <laughs> perhaps hiding stuff between some ambiguous icon was also a problem too as well. But mm. I, I'm on board. Like I'm done paginating anything. Like let's just give me all the data when I need it, <laughs> and uh, we'll figure it out later. Oh, for sure. Speaking of hamburgers, is a hamburger a sandwich? That's 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 a hard question, <laughs> but uh, I think uh, what's that? The site that is that should be a pick. The uh, oh, is this a sandwich? Is this a sandwich? Netlify.com? Yeah. So Sarah Drasner threw that out there for everybody to contemplate on Twitter. Is this a sandwich? Netlify. App, I think actually it is dot app now. I just checked it. Yes, I still have some dot coms. I think, or maybe they switched it over for me already. They had a cutoff date. Yeah, the cutoff passed. A couple of my stuff broke. I had to change it. <laughs> yes. Luckily, my side projects end up dying on their own in the corner. So anything that was still expected to be .com is actually no longer around. But um, I digress. Uh, Chris, thanks so much for coming on and chatting about Jamstack and MDX. And listeners, keep spreading the jam. That's all the time we have for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show or if you'd like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at Jamstack Radio. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com. And while you're there, check out their library. It's packed with amazing talks on sales, marketing, product, and general management from founders of developer tools companies and other industry leaders. 